morning at this time. Um, for the first time in the month, these children and youth are dismissed. Um, children are going to go through the door right there. Um, and youth will head through the back. It's best to breathe and soon be waiting for you through the back door. Must be move up here. Usually they can't wait to get out of here. But I guess they've enjoyed the month of August and being with us. Um, so this morning, we are continuing our series through the book of Luke. Um, as we gather this morning, it is a joy and a privilege to, to praise the Lord together. Amen? Um, thinking about God's faithfulness and how there's so many ways we can hold on to and embrace and, and be loved and touched by God's faithfulness. You know, because it's God's faithfulness that has seen us through in the past. It's God's faithfulness that holds us together now. And it's God's faithfulness that promises to carry us through in the future. Amen? Um, this one of the, the passage we're going to be looking at is, is a rather familiar passage. And, and so when I was trying to think about, you know, how to, to claim it, how to kind of like unpack it, and even just to give it a title, you know, Pastor Hannah didn't like my title because it was too long, right? Um, and that's why she's a communicator. She fixed it for us, right? And, but we just couldn't come up with an idea of like what encompasses it. So we kind of had like an impromptu uh, uh, staff session, and then Pastor Lynn was like, you know, what if we say this passage about good news for the lecture? And I loved it, right? I loved it for several reasons. One, um, Switchfoot is probably one of my favorite bands, and their album, The Beautiful Lifetime, which was released over 20 years ago, I can safely say changed my life. And I'm going to try to unpack some of that this morning in, in the framing of, of this passage. So, in, in Beautiful Letdown, John Foreman, who I think is just brilliant, you know, I think that there's a lot of Christian writers who, when they write, I'm not sure if they're talking about God or their girlfriend, I get confused, you know, like a lot of Christian music, at least in the 90s, maybe not now, right? I'm sure they can, right? But it's just like, I want to fall in love with you. I'm like, are you about Jesus does the play? I don't know. Or just my girlfriend, I'm not sure, right? Uh, but John Foreman wasn't that to me. He was one of the ones who I felt like, were asking questions that I was asking, right? And it helped that he had birth and affect disorder, which is the thing I made up, right? Where it's like birth days just make us sad and depressed. Because we're just like, what are we doing in the world? You know, like how can we change the world? God, I want more. And if you look at his early 20s, and I can tell you album by album, there's always one song about birthday affect disorder, where he's just like, what am I doing with my life, right? And, and, and so the beautiful letdown is all this young, what I would call quarter-life crisis, of the 20-something flexed out. Foreman himself said that this is the album that and he's trying to give an honest, I'm not just his faith, but an honest uh, appraisal or an honest rendering of the tension of, of the existence between uh, the great and terrible human condition, the things that are beautiful, but the things that are also a little bit ugly. So on this album, you'll hear about his doubts, you'll hear about his fears, you'll hear about his questioning and this human condition. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human in relationship with God? What does it mean to be human in relationship with a God and love God, right? And you see that all throughout the album. In fact, one reviewer of the album says what he loved about this album is that uh, Swiftfoot and Foreman, as primary writer, doesn't come out and say Jesus is Jesus, right? He actually models Jesus and he's giving uh, a Socratic method of answering the question to Jesus. So when he starts from the beginning to end, every single song he's going to pose a question, kind of like what Jesus does in the gospel. Right? Jesus doesn't always just give you the answer. I wish life was like, wouldn't that be amazing? Right? Yeah, the question is just not the fear of Jesus. I got a question. Right? And it just comes to you clearly, right? But oftentimes when we ask Jesus questions, what we get back are more questions. 
So in four minutes, you go through the album, you'll, you'll get a song like Men to Live, right? Where he'll say, we're meant to live for so much more. And then at the flip side of it, he's like, and have we lost ourselves, right? You'll get a song like, this is your life. Are you who you want to be? Right? You'll, you'll get a song that, that, okay, everything seems more than fine, but do you want more than just okay? Right? And so throughout the album, he's asking these questions. Even a song that is, is probably the most playful rendering of death and mortality that I've found in a while, maybe ever, is the song Gone, right? Where he's talking about death and mortality, but in the, the, the way the thing, history is gone, yesterday is gone, he asks this question, you know, where's your treasure, where's your hope? If you can lose the world and lose your soul, that's exactly what Jesus asked us to do, right? So throughout the album, he's asking these questions to kind of Get me to the point of what does it mean to follow Jesus? There's this case that we have. A couple weeks ago, or last week, we were talking about the doubts that we have, right? And the questions that we have. And I think what Foreman did for me was he not only said it's okay to have the questions, but he also kind of reminded me that God has the answers. I think sometimes we really do have to work, right? Sometimes we're like, well, we have questions, we don't know if it's okay. But then at some point, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we still have our questions, but we don't know if God has the answers. I think Foreman kind of forced me to get to this little thing God has to answer. Now, the title track of the album is The Beautiful Letdown. And, and in this album, it, it is, it, it, he's going to get to a point where all this doubt, anxiety, questions, it shows up, right? And, and part of his letdown or disappointment is he gets to a point where he realizes that what this world offers isn't all there is. And he's honest about the disappointment in that. I mean, a lot of times as Christians, it's easy for us to be like, well, yeah, the world's not all there is, right? But sometimes that can be painful. When all you know is not all that is to be. Or all you think is not what it's cracked up to be. There's a lot of Christians who are struggling in their faith now, and they're breaking everything down about their faith because they're either asking questions and forgetting God has the answers, or what they thought was Christianity, they're finding it's not Christianity and they don't know what to do with it. Right? So, so there is a letdown when we get to a point where we say, what the world offers isn't all there is. And for some of us, what the Christianity we've been taught isn't all there is, because things are not as they should be. But as you go through the song, he'll move to the point where he says, yeah, what the world offers isn't all there is, but what the world offers also isn't for us. And so then he starts to push it. It's a good thing that you're let down that the world's not as it should be. It's a good thing that you're let down that, that, that all you see is not all there is. Why? Because we are here, but praise God, we do not belong to the We're in this letdown, but praise God, hope is not We're in the letdown, but praise God, God is with us. And that's what he says is beautiful, that in the midst of our, our frustration, our disappointment, our anxiety, God finds us in the letdown. And not only is it beautiful that God finds us in the letdown, but God, or I would say John Foreman, says we as Christians, we are the beautiful letdown. I said this a couple weeks ago, that's not the best way to describe the church, but maybe it is, right? Because he says, listen, we are painfully uncool by world standards. We're the church of the dropouts, the losers, the sinners, the failures, and the fools. What a beautiful lesson. And I love that. Because so much of our early lives, even our Christian lives, are, we're fighting this tension of how do we fit into the world around us? We're not supposed to. 
all of our lives we grow up with this with this tension and this disappointment of things not be all there is. It's good that you don't like the world that it is, right? It's good that you're not finding home in a thing that's broken. It's good that you can know that your disappointment, frustrations, anxieties are met by your God. And it's good that God will not only touch you in that letdown, but He will make it beautiful too. And so when you get to this passage, this idea of beautiful letdown, we realize that we might be living in a letdown this morning. I'm sure it's not just me, but there's a lot of us sitting in this room, listening online, or watching, or listening later in the week, right? There's a lot of us who are holding on to frustration, to anxiety, to failures, to maybe even sin these stuff, or what we've left undone. But when we're living with this letdown, I think this passage teaches us that we can come to Jesus and learn how to get through the letdown. When we're living with this hurt, I think this passage teaches us that we can come to Jesus to learn how to be healed in the letdown. If we're born and all there is, all we can see, and we're just born into this, I think this passage teaches us that we can grow from where we're born to believing when we're in a letdown. And the peace that comes when Jesus touches us, the peace that comes leads us to praise God, yet even in this beautiful letdown. Amen? If you have your Bible, turn with me now to Luke chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 17 to 26, starting at verse 17. We'll also have it up front, and you can follow there as well. Luke 5, 17, 26, starting at verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the crowd into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, the human one, another translation says, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much. And you are indeed the God who finds us, yes, even in our letdown, frustration, failures, and disappointments. We thank you that you're God who teaches us, yes, even when we're struggling with living with our letdowns, struggling with the hurt we still hold on to, the hurt we feel, what we've been born into, Lord, we thank you that you can move us to belief in this letdown. We thank you, Lord, that you can move us to peace after you reach us, after you touch us. So much peace that we can't help but praise you. So much peace that the world can't help but see and be amazed because our God is good. Our Father God, we thank you this morning that we serve the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God of love. Father God, may your mercy hold us together. Holy Spirit, may your grace 
carry us in this world. And Lord Jesus, may your love remind us that you not only healed us, but you're healing us even today. In the holy and precious name. Amen. This is uh, a very familiar passage. I think Sunday school teachers loved it. In my day, we had the planograms, and, and they couldn't wait, right? Because this is a passage where you're not sure if kids like me. So I, I grew up in a time where I don't think the doctors knew ADD existed, right? Was my, my Sunday school teacher was probably blessed that they knew that was a thing. But kids like me struggled to pay attention, right? So I, I feel like my Sunday school teacher couldn't wait for a story like this to be like, if you can't pay attention during this one, right? There's no hope for that guy, right? Okay, so this is the story where you, you, I don't know if you remember this in Sunday school, but it's like we're going to have the picture, right? There's going to be a bunch of people crowding into the room, and we're going to actually bring a guy up from the ceiling. Now, it's funny because my kids, you know, they have iPads and, and tablets and phones and all this stuff, and it's like I don't think they can ever appreciate a planet like Right? But back in 1992, this was like cutting-edge technology, right? Like when, when, when Mrs. Lone put that thing on the board, right? And then you drip it down inch by inch, or man, it's millimeter by millimeter by millimeter, you are blown away. You're like, wow, look at them lowering him from the roof. That's a different kind of technology that they will never appreciate, right? We'll forgive them for it, right? But a lot of times when we see this passage, right, we think it's about healing, and that's the core of this passage. But I want to present to you this morning that I believe that this passage is about more than healing. In fact, the, the passage right before it, a couple of verses right before it, Jesus heals a man of leprosy. And then the Greek says, you know, it's leprosy or other skin diseases, right? But, but in that story, what's fascinating is that Jesus healed him. And, and the response of Jesus is like, I need you to go back to the priest and, and do what Moses commanded you to do and don't tell anybody, right? So, so there's, there's something that's very, very private, right? And I've been thinking through about the introverted Jesus, which is very different than how we look at Jesus, right? He's healing, he's doing, he's teaching. But there's so many times where after the fact, Jesus is just like, I just want to be alone with God. I just want to be by myself. And I understand that. Right? In my house, the very time of the day is 10 p.m. when everyone else is asleep. The peace, the pastor, the oh, and the family just dawns upon the house, right? It's a beautiful time, right? But, but Jesus has this thing where he heals, and, and for him, it's just like, listen, tell about it, right? God touched you, God healed you, go and do what God asked you to do, and be blessed, right? But nothing good hides forever. And so the word gets out, and more and more people are finding out about Jesus. So, so the, I think the other cool thing about this passage, though, is that leprosy and sin diseases not only made you uncleanly, it made you shy. And it's a challenge to us, right? Because how many times do people in our lives sin or do things that harm us, and our reaction is to make them spiritually unclean? Why are we unclean for our lives? Unclean for our houses, unclean for our relationships, unclean for existence in relationship with us. How many times do we choose to shun instead of actually forgiving? And so in this passage, Jesus heals by touching leprosy. I remember when I was little, um, Princess Diana, there's this famous clip where she's in a hospital and she, she grabs the king of things, right? And people are like, oh my gosh, it's incredible. And for years, I was like, oh, that is crazy. But if you go back to, to, to where we were as a culture, as a society, and what we knew about AIDS at the time, that was actually a really big deal. Because we had a lot of false truths about what we believed about AIDS, and one of them was the effect of the Which sounds ridiculous, 
to us now, but like that was one of the things that people thought. And leprosy wasn't just a, a foolish thought. That's one way you got leprosy was to touch it. But I love that our Jesus is not afraid of our leprosy. I love that our Jesus is not afraid of our brokenness. I love that our Jesus is not afraid to share with all of in the letdown that we even get. And in the heart of this lesson today, Jesus touches him to heal him. He could have just said, be healed like he does in our story, but he touches him. And I think that's an important thing to remember about our Jesus, that he's willing to not just meet us, but to actually touch us. And so Jesus heals him, not for a claim, not to tell anyone but the truth, but to simply bring God glory. And for those of us who've been at the front seat or maybe the back seat or we had a past down, for those of us who've heard the stories of God doing healing, we are left to praise, to glorify, to honor Him, for God is good. And so when Jesus heals, it not only magnifies the name of the Lord, it not only brings out glory, but those who have been healed, they praise and they rejoice. As you've been healed by Jesus this morning, how much more should your life be a life of praise and rejoicing for the God who has touched you? Because your testimony of praise, of rejoicing, is a testimony not just for you, but for the community, not just for your Christian community, but for your world. That is another way the kingdom goes forth. When God's people step up and say, this is what the Lord has done for me. This is how God has seen me through. This is how His mercy has carried me through those dark nights. This is how His love has held me. And this is how His grace will put me forward. That's the God we serve. So this passage isn't just about healing. It's by God who touches us. It's by God who heals us. It's by God who gets the glory. And it's by our testimony from being touched by God being a witness to our world. What else is it about? About faith. Now I'm gonna. It's gonna be a little confusing. You have to stick with me. I right? think I talked about some of these people. It's gonna be confusing. So we're gonna try to work through it. All I can say is it makes sense in my head, and the Holy Spirit, I pray, it makes sense in their head too. Point A. We need faith that God can heal. We need faith that God can heal us. There's a lot of us battling so many things. One of the ways we lose our battles is when we succumb to sickness, is when we succumb to, to being overwhelmed, is when we succumb to being let down, is when we stop believing that God will meet us where we are. We need faith that God will exceed. We need faith that God is good, that God is merciful, that God is gracious. We need faith that God is going to move. We need faith that when we call out to Him, he will hear us. He will answer us. He will come to us. We need faith that God can heal. That's the easy part. The tricky part is we don't need faith for God to heal. Right? Because a lot of us who say, well, we need faith for God to heal. So if God doesn't heal, that means that we didn't have enough faith, right? It, it makes sense logically, maybe, but it doesn't stack up. Because God is not the white, that's easy. That is not A plus B equals C. 
There's a lot of mystery involved in God. It's not a mystery why God chooses to heal you and not heal me. It's not a mystery why God gives me this this thing I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life, and you seem to have gotten over it in 10 minutes. There's a lot of mystery in how God moves. And if it was only based on my faith that God would heal me, I would not be healed because my faith would never be enough to heal me. So why do you need to believe that God can intercede? You also need to hold that lightly, knowing that God's going to intercede because of God's goodness, not how much faith you have. That God is going to intercede because God is merciful, not because you're worth it in the sense of you deserve it. So it's just tricky, right? Because we need faith and believe that God's going to intercede, but we also got to realize that God moves because God moves. God moves because in the story you'll see God sees our faith. Or we call out to God. But it's not a perfect little uh, 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 framework or that's a formula that you can put together like, I'm going to put a little dash of faith today. I'm going to put my little Monday faith, put my Sunday faith in yesterday. And on Tuesday, God, you will heal. That's not how God was. I wish it was. Be awesome, right? You know, you got a little meter on your phone. You check your app and just like, ooh, I'm a 66 out past. God's going to move now. I was at 64, I wasn't happy, but now I got the D minus, I'm in there. But that's not how God works. But yes, you need faith and the belief that God's going to intercede, but don't think that because God doesn't intercede, that God doesn't love you. That God doesn't see you. That God's not with you. Because we need faith. And God doesn't heal Sometimes that's some of the hardest conversations. When you talk to people who can celebrate God moving in a great and powerful way, and they say they look at their own lives and say, like, well, why doesn't God move in that way for me? That's a hard conversation. And if it's even harder than how to correct it, it's struggle with it. And to to your community or to your faith or even to God about it, right? So we need faith that when God doesn't heal, that God is still kind. That God is still merciful. That God is still kind. And for this thing that we want, that God in His wisdom has decided either no or not yet, but He is still good. And that's hard, but that's what faith is. If my faith in God was only dependent on God doing everything I say, it would not be faith in God. It would be a very good employee to employ your relationship with me on top. And while I would like that, it just would not work. We need faith when God doesn't heal, because sometimes God does not heal. And in those times, it's good to be reminded that the faith that we hold on to with God is that even in that unhealed, even in that hurt, even in that frustration, even in that brokenness, even in that sickness, God comes us. God holds us. God carries us. And God will see us in the world. And so in this passage, it begins with, you know, we've been talking about how Galilee, the region, might have had, you know, two, three million people. We talked about how the Sea of Galilee itself wasn't just a fishing village, but with the ancients living close to rivers and embodied the water that you most likely have towns all around the Sea of Galilee. And we've been talking about how the people are crowding to Jesus, whether he's preaching on a beach, right? Or whether he's preaching on a boat, right? They're crowding to find Jesus. But this story begins with not just the people, but the Pharisees who are gathered to learn from Jesus. And I find that fascinating. 
as a kid, I would say that with my little friend of that. I'm just like, how did he not notice? Like, I, this is like a, a major renovation of this person's house. Second question is, how did this person feel? I'm glad y'all did a miracle, but Jesus gets to leave. Who's paying the bill? Right? Like, do we get a miracle to put my house back together, right? How do you think you need to do Everybody get this straw. Let's go, right? But the thing here that I love, and the reminder I think for us, is that there's going to be times in our lives where we're the people who are carrying our sister or our brother on that map to Jesus. There's also going to be times in our lives where we're the paralyzed. But we're the ones who can't move. But we're the ones who are trying to have faith, but it's just not enough. But we're the ones who are in the lockdown, in the disappointment, in the frustration, in the anxiety. So the question for us is, do we have people in and around us that we've invested in? that we've been vulnerable enough with, that we've opened up our lives to, that we can trust. I think that's the line that Luke is spreading throughout the book here, is that if you can't get to Jesus on your own, God just might send someone you trust to bring you to your We see it with Philip and the Father. We see it with Peter and Andrew. We see it with Simeon and Anna, right? We see it with even Joseph and Mary. Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? He's spreading this needle that, like, you don't have to do it on your own. So make sure you're living in a way in community that when you can't do it, somebody is there to help push you through. In the face of these men, Jesus is healing everybody, right? Go back in the story. That's what he's doing. How about he's healing? You get to the house, you get to the meeting place, and it's so crowded. And if you have someone really paralyzed around a mat, there's no way you could just walk through the crowd. You could have lived in the letdown and gone on the way. Right? There's five people at least I picture in this story. The four men holding the mat, the man on the mat. All it took probably is for one person to be like, you know what, let's try again tomorrow. Or you know what, like, we're disappointed, we're frustrated, it's not going to happen, right? Is there space for hugging? And it wasn't just the difficulty that they were in, it's the creativity that comes from trusting God. Sometimes creativity doesn't come unless necessity drives you. And so that's why they remodeled that person's house. So they go to the roof, they climb up on the roof, they move the mat, they move the roof, and then they just slide them down right in front of Jesus. And what I love about this is that again, when Jesus saw not the paralyzed, not the Pharisees, not the people, but the friends who had faith to push them through. When Jesus saw their faith, then he looked upon the man on the mat and said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And so some questions I have is, did the paralyzed man lack faith? Or was his letdown so great? His faith did seem so small. And I think sometimes we get there. Where the frustration, the anxiety, the depression, the things we're struggling with, the hurt, the pain we're carrying, where it's so bad that our faith seems so small. But praise God for friends and people who can put us through. And I love that when Jesus says, friends, your sins are forgiven, he right away 
announcing to the crowd, to the people, to the Pharisees, that I'm here to break every curse. I think most of us know this, but it's very common in that culture that if you were paralyzed, the belief was that you sin and someone else sin. So when you read this, I feel like, listen, he's paralyzed. Well, he's talking about sins being forgiven. You know, like, let him walk for it. There was forgiven sins, right? But in that culture, in that time, in that place, for you to be paralyzed means somebody in your family messed up. If it wasn't you, it happened a generation or two ago. Somebody did something for you to be paralyzed, right? And you still see this in some of the culture today, where sometimes someone gets sick and it's like, well, I must have seen or oh, we must have dishonored God, right? It's not just in, in same-based cultures in other parts of the world. It's here, too, in America. I've seen Americans who are fairly westernized get something terrible that happens to them, and they're like, well, I think God's punishing me because I'm not good enough, right? So we carry these curses with us in how we sin. And so Jesus attacks that person and says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. And what's funny is that the reaction of the Pharisees is like, wait, what? That's blasphemy. Jesus has said he's the Messiah. That wasn't apparently blasphemy. Jesus has said he's come to save Israel. That wasn't blasphemy. But when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, they're saying, who is this God that speaks blasphemy when it's only God alone who can forgive sins? And I love how Jesus proves that he's God and answers their question in so many different ways. Because they were right. Only God can forgive sins. No matter this man's condition, he's on the mat, and they're blasphemy, only God can forgive sin. First of all, right, if they went to the law, they will remember that in the book of Numbers, it is written, in accordance with God's great love, God forgives the sin of these people, just as he pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And the Lord replies, I have forgiven them, Moses, as you have. If that wasn't enough, it might think back to the songs they sing and what the psalmist says. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Praise God, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Or we pay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him, for those who honor him, those who acknowledge him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And if that wasn't enough, they would have gone back to the prophets. Like Isaiah, when God says, I, even I, and we who brought out your transgressions for my sake and remember your sins no more. If that wasn't enough, they could have gone to Daniel, who says, we and our kings, our princes, our ancestors are covered with sin. Lord, because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We serve a God who forgives. Amen? We serve a God who loves. Amen? We serve a God who gracious. So they were right that only God can forgive sin. But how does Jesus prove that only God can forgive sin? First of all, he knows their thoughts. I love that in this uh, passage, they never argue that Jesus understood their thoughts. And it's kind of scary to me. Because it means that God can be right in front of me and I can miss God. Because that's what happens, right? And so I think, and I think, only God can forgive sin. And Jesus says, you're right. You know, so, so, so which one do you think is easier then? Your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. Jesus knew their thoughts, but more than that, Jesus knew their heart. 
And then Jesus didn't have to, to, to walk into the authority and stamp it upon them, but he could show his authority by saying, not only can I forgive sin, but he can rise up and walk at my word. And in that, he holds up now. He takes his name. In front of all of them, he walks out of the room praising God. And I love that. Because we can question, or they can question, if Jesus is God, but they cannot question if his name is God. They cannot question that his life is changed. They cannot question all the moves and the work that God has done around them. And I love that this story ends, not with them trying to stone them or put them off the cliff, not with them saying, what do we do with this? But it ends with what? The Pharisees, the people, the disciples, the, the, the four people, or the, the friends that brought them, everybody was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And what I love about this story is that we can have good news in whatever life God we're facing and holding on to this life. Wherever our hopes have been dashed. Wherever our frustrations just will not fall. Wherever our anxieties just will not slow down. Wherever our disappointments, our failures, everywhere we've lost, we can have and live in this lifetime. But always remember that God meets you where you are. God meets you where you are. So whatever your lifetime is this morning, whatever is paralyzing, not just your faith, but your mind. Wherever you find yourself, say, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. God is going to meet you there. But I also love that not only does God meet us where we are, but again through this passage, we learn that God doesn't desire to leave us there. I'm so glad you serve a God who doesn't say, clean up first, but just so glad we serve a God who doesn't say, your faith has to be a 66 to be a factory, and then you can come. I'm so glad we serve a God who doesn't say, like, you know what, you got to do everything right, and then I'll look at you, and then I'll hear you, and then I'll actually address your concerns. I'm so glad we serve a God who not only will meet us in the frustration, meet us in the anxiety, meet us in the failure, but we have a God who doesn't just want to keep us there. And he meets us. I love that John Foreman said, you know, we are the church of the believers, the dropouts, the sinners, the failures, and the fools. Now, for those of you who don't like church, well, that doesn't fit as much, right? So we'll go to Luke. Maybe you like Luke better. Because I think what Luke is saying here is that we are the church of the Pharisees, the paralyzed, and the failures. Meaning that there's going to be times in our lives where we look more like the Pharisees than our Jesus. We can still come to Jesus. But we can come to Jesus with our questions, with our skepticism, with our doubt, and God will still move. And God will move because God is greater than all of our questions. And God will not only answer our questions, but He'll get us to a point where we'll see God move and we will be amazed at His moving. But it also means that we're the church of the paralyzed. And there's going to be times in our lives when our faith might never, it might be even stronger in those hard times. But it's just hard to see, hard to verbalize, hard to hold on to. So I pray for all of us that we're living in a way that we're inviting sisters and brothers alongside of us. We don't have to do this life alone. Let's pray.
pray that if you feel like you're doing this right now, that you would just listen to the Holy Spirit, at least my yelling this morning. To come to, to someone you trust, it could be one of us as pastors, or it could be someone in the sanctuary that you trust that you love. I pray that you can, you can walk in that boldness, walk in that faith, to just say, I need help. And to know that that's okay. And to know that that's okay. Because we all go through seasons of being helped. In faith, in life, in work. Family, in relationships, in finances, in anything, right? We're not meant to do it alone in that time. But we also are the church of the church. So the last of my friends is that for those of us in this world, we got to be careful. Whether it's the sin we commit or the failure we have, or the disappointment, there's one of my favorite songs that the writer says, you know, the only disappointment is the one you've ever because it made me realize how I interpreted it. I don't think it's going to be how I interpreted that was that God is not disappointed in that it's not disappointed in that and God's not disappointed more than God that's always going to hope that you come back and so this morning for those of us who can heal will we be those that pray those of us who God has brought through will we be those who have a sin and those of us that God is staring us through now that we be the ones who are standing from the rooftop. Our God is faithful. Our God is merciful. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. Amen. I think by that, the man and the worship team, we're going to close. Um, sing a pretty familiar song to us about, about God taking your way. I'd like to also invite any of the pastors in the room up front as well. Again, we'd love to pray for you for, for anything you've got going on. You know, maybe it's, it's something really, really big that you're carrying. It's, it's this anxiety, this fear, this failure. We'd love to pray for you for that. Or maybe there's someone who's on your heart and that you have a heavy burden for. We'd love to pray for that as well. But as we sing that song about God making your way, may we be reminded that in the hurt, in the failure,
them songs that they did, they, they have written down, or they definitely have PowerPoints, or they were using PowerPoints. So the point is that they were reliant on the community as, as a vehicle for articulating their faith. So they would memorize prayers, right? They would memorize things to say, and they would do it every week. And, and I love this thing as an example because they would say, this is what we believe, and they would say it out loud. And it was beautiful because no matter what you were going through, even if you didn't have the voice to say, I believe you, God, you would hear your friends and your family, your community around you saying it, and it would give you energy. Now, I think about that, I was like, well, we kind of have that sometimes, but what is a uh, modern example of, of, of how God shows up? And I thought about this, about how many times in our lives that, that God uses the people in our lives to remind us of who God is and what God desires us, us to do. How many times is the community that's around us that God uses to say, this is what I see in you. I, I think about every critical moment of my life. And maybe I'm just not that bright, but I don't often see where God is going. And every major decision or every major step of faith I've taken, there's been at least one person in my community who's spoken that into me before I see it. And I think that's the joy of community. Because we don't often see everything we ought to be seeing. So my prayer for all of us this morning is that we're willing to be vulnerable enough with one another that we're willing to be trusting enough with one another. We're willing to open our lives up to one another. Because it might not be today, but it might be. And it'll certainly be tomorrow. You may just need the voice of the things around you to help you say the word that you need. You may just need to hear and see the faces of the people around you to put you through. You may be on that map. And praise God, our community to bring us to our Jesus. Our Father God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God of mercy. You're God of goodness, you're God of kindness, you're God of compassion, you're God of grace, and you're God of love. God, we thank you that because you're so good to us, you meet us where we are. So, Father God, today, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of all the ways we've fallen short, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of us turning away and rebelling against you, in the midst of us not doing or being good enough, we thank you that you still meet us there. In our frustrations, in our anxieties, Lord, in our doubt, in our questions, you still need us there. And God, we thank you that we don't have to clean up to come to you. That we don't have to be perfect to come to you. That we don't have to, to clean up ourselves to be good enough to come to you. But all you say is come. So I pray that if there's any of us in this room that feel paralyzed by some aspect of our lives, that feel paralyzed by some aspect of our faith, Lord, I pray that we have people in our lives that can help bring us to you. And Lord, I pray that we can have that boldness, that courage, that strength to come to you and to say, God, here I am. I trust you to touch my leprosy. I trust you to touch my, my paralyzed spirit. I trust you to touch me in a way that I can get up and not only walk, but I can dance and praise your name now and forever to God be the glory. God, we thank you this morning for you, the God of healing, for God and not just touches our bodies, but you touch our spirits too. So Holy Spirit, help us to live in a way that we submit to you. Lord Jesus, help us to live in a way that we submit to the body. And Father God, help us to live in a way that we're completely reliant on you. For you are indeed the God who sees, the God who loves, the God who sees, the God who holds, and the God who promises to carry us through. Amen? God bless you all.